praise team, Debbie and Diane for leading us in worship. It's always exciting to start a worship service with a baptism, isn't it? So Callie, we rejoice in what God has done and is doing in your life. And, uh, and we remember in baptism, as I mentioned to you before I baptized Callie, that we have in that a picture of our salvation and a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. And baptism is also a picture of how Jesus transforms our lives. Before we knew Christ, we were filthy with sin. But Jesus has washed away our sins with his shed blood on the cross. And now Jesus has given us a clean heart and a new life by which we honor and glorify him. Several years ago, someone brought a newspaper clipping of a baptism scene to the church office. It was drawn by the Baptist cartoonist Tom Tapp, and it appeared in his long-running comic strip, Church of the Covered Dish. He always had some fun things to, to say and to, and to picture. And it was taped, this little comic strip, on the door of the church office for some time before I took it down. But I managed to scrounge up a copy in the Baptist Press Digital Archives to show you the pictures this morning. We're just going to go through these one at a time so you get the full effect. Well, Charles, when I baptize you, everything that goes under belongs to God. It made me laugh. If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, take it and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. I want to preach on the subject, New Testament tithing. Yes, I know it's an Old Testament passage. All right, don't abandon me just yet. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. And it reads, these are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their asherim with fire. And you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. You shall not act like this toward the Lord your God. But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There you also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all of your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. I know that we are not the nation of Israel. I also know that we are the church of Jesus Christ. 
I know that we don't have a bronze altar up here in front of the pulpit where we make animal sacrifices on a routine basis. I also know that we have offering plates where we place our financial gifts to the Lord. I know that nowhere in the New Testament is the command to place 10% of your hard-earned income in the church's offering plate on Sunday morning. You won't find it. I also know from the scriptures that Christians should contribute of their means for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. So please understand a few things this morning as I share this message with you. I'm not after your money, nor is God. God wants you, not your pocketbook. And although I hope everyone takes something from this sermon, this message is not directed at church visitors and guests. It's aimed at church members. This message is not meant to chide you to berate you or to guilt you into putting money in an offering plate. What I say is meant to convict, challenge, and comfort you as you give to God through His church. If you'll give me at least that much grace, I'll promise to make our next few moments worth it. You also need to know that I'm not going to ask you to do something that I am unwilling or unfaithful to do. I personally choose to tithe not because it's a New Testament command, but because it's a spiritual discipline which allows me to invest in God's kingdom. It helps me to learn how to steward my financial resources more wisely on a personal level. And it aids me to express worship and thankfulness to the Lord. It also guides me to trust Jesus instead of the almighty dollar. The word tithing occurs twice in the text we just read, Deuteronomy chapter 12. I define New Testament tithing as giving 10% of your income to God through the local church. And I want to challenge you to do the same. So before you protest and criticize, all I ask is that you hear the entire message and listen. And then if you want to throw rocks or pennies, you can, okay? So let me share with you the main point of this message once more. Christians should contribute of their means for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. How do we do that? Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 12 verses 1 through 7 to find out. How does a Christian contribute of their means for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth? These verses demonstrate five practical ways we contribute of our means for the advancement of Christ's cause on this earth. First, we contribute cheerfully. We contribute cheerfully. In the first three verses of Deuteronomy 12, the Lord gave to the nation of Israel commands about how they were to live in the land that God was giving to them. We call this land the promised land or the land of Canaan. His first instructions were not to build up the land, but to tear it down. The inhabitants of the land of Canaan had set up altars to false gods where they offered sacrifices and worshipped. They would worship these gods by offering animals as burnt offerings and engaging in other pagan rituals. In return for their worship, the inhabitants of Canaan 
believed that their false gods would bless their harvest with abundance, their flocks with prosperity, and thus the livelihood of these people would be measured by nothing less than success. It was a simple equation in their minds. You gave your false god an animal as a sacrifice. He blessed you with more animals in your flocks and herds. You gave of your crops as a wave offering or a burnt offering on the altar, and the gods would send enough rain and give you a good growing and harvest season. The problem with this system is that people were not depending upon the one true God, but rather their man-made religious system. For this reason, God told the Israelites to destroy all of these altars, all of the sacred pillars, and the asherim, which were carved wooden idols, kind of comparable to the Pacific Native Americans' totem poles. And then they were also to do away with all of the engraved images of their gods. God did not want his people to trust in anything or anyone but him. And this is a lesson that all of us need to keep in mind today as well. We need to live like we trust God, not like we trust in the almighty dollar. Money might make the world go round, but when it comes to God's kingdom, it doesn't make God's kingdom grow, expand, or work. In fact, when money becomes an idol, it hinders growth in the kingdom of God. The destruction of these altars, pillars, engraved images in high places would have a profound negative impact on the economy initially. Anytime a system is dismantled, there is fallout that occurs. It was no different in this case. But the long-term effects of this destruction of these pagan practices were to produce faithfulness to a God who really could provide for his people and rejoicing in his abundant blessings. Although God's ultimate reward to his followers is not temporary financial blessing, he does indeed take care of and provide for those who place their faith and trust in him. So before we can ever build a foundation of dependence upon the God who provides we have to forsake any notion that we can satisfy ourselves with our own structure of religious practices, our own economic structures, and our idolatrous systems. The first step towards contributing cheerfully to God is to kill the idea that money matters. The fact of the matter is that it doesn't. We might not have stone altars for animal sacrifices set up throughout our nation, but we do have shrines throughout our cities on which are plastered the names of banks and in which takes place the praise and adoration of how much of the green paper bills one can collect throughout one's lifetime. It's not time to demolish the bank buildings, okay? But it is time that God's people stop looking at their financial institutions as the measure of success and satisfaction in life. On the other hand, Moses told God's people, You shall not act like this toward the Lord your God. Verse 4. The Israelites were to promote the worship of God throughout their land. He had given them identity as a nation, freedom to live, land to plant and to harvest, flocks to tend, and all good blessings to enjoy. 
these blessings were to be personally enjoyed, generously shared, and thankfully returned to the God who gave them. Notice that the success enjoyed by farmers, herders, merchants, and the like, a portion of all their undertakings was to be returned to God in thankfulness. And that thankfulness would produce rejoicing. Verse 7 says, and rejoice in all of your undertakings. Giving to God, therefore, is all about one's attitude. Not about the amount privately collected and then personally contributed. When a person is mindful that God has given all blessings to enjoy, then they give to God willingly, thankfully, and cheerfully. I heard Jack Wolf share this story some time ago, and I know many of you will remember it, but it epitomizes the attitude of cheerfully giving and worship to God. On a Sunday at church, a, a poor young boy wanted to put something in the offering plate during the church service, but having no money, he did the only thing that he could do. If I break the offering plate, I'll get a new one. He decided that instead of placing his money in the offering plate, he would place himself there and stand offering himself to God. He was so excited and so happy to do just that. This little boy understood the truth that God wants the affections of our heart and he desires for you to give yourself to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the Apostle Paul urged Christian believers to fulfill the commitment they had made to supporting God's kingdom work. He challenged them with these words, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Contribute cheerfully. If you can't or don't contribute to God's kingdom work through the church cheerfully, I wonder if your trust is in the right place. And maybe that's the real issue. You've got to tear down the money, God, before you can give God what he wants. Just because the phrase, in God we trust, is printed on the quarter you put in the offering plate, doesn't mean your heart is fully devoted to God. Don't trust in paper currency. Trust in the God who provides every good and perfect gift to his children. When you trust him, you will be able and faithful to give cheerfully. And you'll find more joy in giving than you ever found in accumulating personal wealth for yourself. Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. I believe that tithing giving 10% of your income to God through the local church provides an avenue for cheerful contribution. Christians should also contribute of their means regularly for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. Contribute regularly. Notice that Moses commanded the Israelites to rejoice in all your undertakings, verse 7. In the verse just before that, Think of how many times and in how many ways they were to make their offerings to God. Verse 6 says, you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, 
your votive offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. Although few of the offerings mentioned here were that of actual money, they were all tangible assets presented to the Lord in worship. The tabernacle and later on the temple was the physical structure where the people came to spiritually worship. While the Israelites were to honor and worship God in every aspect and area of their lives, they were also to make regular time to travel to the central locale of worship and present their offerings to God. Certainly, we can connect the dots for this and what it means in our own lives and worship as well. We can and we ought to worship God in every aspect and every area of our lives. But we also ought to make time to gather with God's people and worship His holy name. I mean, I, I know you at least believe that much. That's why you're here this morning. I also know that God wants us to be wise financial stewards of the monetary resources He's given us. That means saving some of our income, investing wisely, responsibly paying our bills on time, providing for our families, and helping those in need. We also ought to make room in our household budgets for regularly contributing to God's kingdom work through the local church. In this Old Testament passage, we can see how these gifts perpetuated the worship of God in the temple and the tabernacle. Without the sacrifices and offerings of the people, the priests had nothing to place on the altar. These sacrifices also supported the priests who served God in a special way at the house of worship. Some of these sacrifices were also meant to be shared with people in need of benevolence. Worship is not just a one-time event, it's an ongoing experience. Just like the Israelites required multiple animals and grains to continue carrying out worship in the tabernacle, our church operates financially based on the gifts that you give to God. Check out, if you got a bulletin this morning, there's a half sheet, an insert in there. On that piece of paper is a good question. If I placed $100 in the offering plate last week, where did it go? This little report is based on the tithes and offerings you have given over this year, January to, to August of, of 2019, and on how you as a church have voted to budget our expected receipts. Just kind of look that over. You might want to keep it with you and look at it later as well. But one of our deacons... Walter Norville, who was also a professor in a class on church administration that I took at Williams, said this, a church's finance report is really a church's mission statement. That means what you give, how you give, and how the church spends is a statement on what we say, think, and believe is important to both us as individual Christians and to us collectively as a family of faith. When you contribute of your financial means on a regular basis, you involve yourself in God's kingdom work. This regular habit of giving helps ongoing ministries take place. International missionary support, 
local church planting, care for foster children through Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes and Family Ministries, feeding children and youth on Wednesday nights, transportation ministry so that we can pick up some 100 kids and teenagers in our community and bring them to church and take them home, providing for the pastor's families, paying light, water, and gas bills for the church facilities to be used, and operating our food pantry, as well as supporting the work of Williams Baptist University, just to name a few things. Are you a regular contributor to God's kingdom work in your financial giving? Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully and regularly for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. Tithing, giving 10% of your income to God through the local church, is a means of regularly contributing to God's kingdom work. Christians should also contribute of their means systematically. Contribute systematically. When God gave this command to the Israelites through Moses... He had a system and a plan in mind. I want you to pay attention to how often the location of the offerings that were presented is mentioned in verses 5 through 7. But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And there you shall come. There you shall bring. There also you and all your household shall eat before the Lord your God. In the Old Testament, God established his name amongst his people Israel and dwelt in their midst by displaying his glory in the tabernacle and later on in the temple in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, God also has established his name among his people. He establishes his name among followers of his son Jesus. And he dwells in his church. It's through his church that he manifests his glory to the world. The church is where God has caused his name to dwell. Did you know that Muslims, adherents of the faith known as Islam, are required to pay a 2.5% tax on their savings? It's known as the zakat. It's meant to provide for other Muslims who are poor and needy. This religiously instituted tax that's administered by the state is one of the five pillars of the Islamic faith. Let me ask you this question. If a Muslim who serves a false god must pay a tax under law to help their neighbors... How and why would a Christian who serves the one true God, not by law, but by grace, do any less? God's church has all of the money necessary to do all of the work that God wants. Let me say that again just so you can get a handle on it. God's church has all of the money necessary to do all of the work that God wants. In fact, some of the work that God does and wants to do doesn't require money. But what does he provides to his people? If that's the case, here's two questions we have to ask ourselves individually as Christians and collectively as a body. One, are we giving to God what he wants or are we holding back for ourselves? And two, are we doing what God wants as a church or are we not doing enough or are we doing too much 
or are we doing the wrong things? Our church's finance committee meets in just a few hours this afternoon to discuss the 2020 budget requests that have been submitted by staff members, ministry teams, and committees. I want to encourage you to pray for them as they meet this afternoon and as they prepare to present the budget back to our church family over the next few weeks. And in fact, I'll even do this. I exhort you to get involved in our upcoming business meeting on November the 17th. And I challenge you to give to support the kingdom work that we believe God is calling us to carry out. Understand, November the 17th is not just the Baptist church business meeting. And our finance committee is not just putting together a piece of paper of money that we're going to get and spend. What we're doing in both of those places and instances is we're saying this is what we believe God has called us to do with the resources he's given us and this is what we are committing to carrying out. God has a system in place for ministry and it's called the church. Our church also has a system in place for contributing and we have for numerous decades. It's called tithing, giving 10% of your income to God through the local church. Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully, regularly, and systematically for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. Christians should also contribute proportionately. Contribute proportionately. Pay careful attention to all of the second person regular and possessive pronouns as I read verses 6 and 7 again. There you shall bring your burnt offerings your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and above your flock. There also you and your households shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Your offering might not be the same amount as someone else's, but you still ought to offer what you have to the Lord. God has given you what you have. Tithing is a good way to challenge each and every church member to involve themselves in God's kingdom work. I mean, look, not everybody can place $100 in the offering plate every week. Because many people live on less than $4,000 a month. Some of you can contribute more than $100 a week because your household income is greater than $4,000 a month. The beautiful thing about tithing is that is proportionate giving. You choose to make a personal sacrifice and give to the Lord out of what He's given to you. You don't have to compete with others in regards to the amount given. You don't have to worry if you don't have much. And you can give God more if he's blessed you with more. A few years ago, during our church's Forward in Faith campaign, when we were raising funds to build the Ministry Activities Center and our Sunday school rooms, educational space, I remember one of our church's uh, members who was working on the Forward in Faith campaign leading the charge by, by using a phrase... And I don't know if Susan Watson heard this from somewhere else or if the Holy Spirit just prompted her to, uh, to say it, but I think it captures 
the essence of contributing of our means proportionately. She used this phrase, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifices. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifices. And applying that phrase to the concept of tithing, your gift might not look like someone else's, but your gift to God is beautiful when it's given cheerfully, regularly, systematically, and proportionately. So whether you put in the widow's might or large sums, the challenge is that you give to God through the local church. Tithing is a good practice to develop proportionate giving. But here's the case, because I talk to people, and I talk to church members, and I know what many of you think. Jake, you're asking way too much. I mean, with our bills, there's no way that we ever could afford to give 10% of our earnings. And I honestly hear those concerns. We've got four kids at their house. They're just expensive. Life happens. Bills accumulate. There's things you want to do. There's things you need to do. And so I did some thinking. Since I've shared with you already that tithing is not a command from the New Testament, from Jesus' mouth, I think it would be fine to help you form the habit of tithing over time. So here's my challenge to you church members who are not already tithing, to help you form the habit of tithing over time. Instead of being forced to uh, to choose between your mortgage payment or money in the offering plate, or feeding your kids at home or helping feed uh, teenagers on Wednesday nights, what if you started out with a smaller percentage and grew in your giving? Here's the specifics. Start giving 2% of your income to God through the church at your next pay period. And then at the start of 2020, increase your giving to 4%. And then each year following, increase that percentage at 2%. Here's, here's what it looked like. If you make $750 a week, you would start by giving $15 a week. Surely that's not going to hurt too bad. It might actually help you trust God more. Let's say you you make $3,000 a month. You would start out by giving $60 a month. In five years, you will be tithing, giving 10% of your income to God through the local church. Maybe you like that idea, but you need to tweak the challenge a little bit so it can work for you. Because right now, if you sat down and calculated it, you're giving, but you're giving about 5% of your income. So let's say you, you want to give 10%. Just use the same principle. Increase your giving by 1% over the next five years. Listen, this is not a law from the Lord, okay? This is not a condition for church membership. I'm not telling you that if you want to be a faithful Christian, you have to tithe. I'm not telling you that. I'm just telling you that as Christians, we contribute of our means cheerfully, regularly, systematically, and proportionately for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. And tithing is a way to help you get to that point. But that's not where our contribution stops. Christians should also contribute of their means liberally, or generously, if you like that word better. Contribute liberally. 
there is one type of offering listed in Deuteronomy 12 that could not be quantified or measured according to Old Testament law. Obviously, there was a prescribed ceremony for giving this type of offering, but there was no command to its frequency or standard of how much or how little there was to be given. Look in verse 6 and notice the penultimate gift that is mentioned. Your free will offerings. The free will offering was a sacrifice regulated by God's standards in the Mosaic law, but it was completely voluntary. You gave it if and when you wanted to. In the law, the free will offering was to be of a male bull, a sheep, or a goat, with no physical deformities or blemishes. And it was not to have been purchased from a foreigner. So you might not have had a bull, you might not have been able to give that, but if you had a goat, you could give that. Or if you are somewhere in the middle, you could give a sheep. The offering was to include flour mixed with oil and wine. The amounts varied on whether the sacrifice was a, a lamb, a bull, or a ram. As with all sacrifices, the free will offering was to be made in a place of God's choosing, not in an area formerly used by other religions or even at your own home. Although this was appropriate to give during normal feast days, it could be given at any time the worshiper wanted to give to the Lord generously and liberally. In addition, the Levites and priests could eat of this offering and share it in joyful thankfulness for God's provision. Many Bible scholars today teach that this is really the only type of giving required by Christians in the New Testament. That is a free will offering, completely voluntary or giving that's not under compulsion or guilt or requirement. And I think that in part, they're correct. God wants us to give. He doesn't set a standard or a percentage on giving in the New Testament. Nowhere is tithing, giving 10% of your income to God through the local church, mentioned in the New Testament. However, I still believe the principle of practicing tithing is good. Because it promotes generous giving. And yes, I want you to think back through that. It's okay and good to give God more than 10%. Some have actually calculated all the types of offerings mentioned here in Deuteronomy 12. And placed the percentage giving of the average Israelite between 23% and 33 and a third percent. When it's all totaled together. Adrian Rogers, longtime former pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, said this. Any Christian who would let a Jew do more under the law than he would under grace is a disgrace to grace. He didn't mean that people needed to literally give a third of everything they have to God. But he did mean that Christians should be above and beyond generous in their giving. I heard Johnny Hunt preach about giving one time, and he made this remark, Tithing is the training wheels of giving. Tithing, giving 10% to God through the local church, teaches you how to be generous. So with that in mind, I'm not only going to challenge you to tithe, but I'm also going to call you to give the mission offerings. Like Dixie Jackson missions, you guys are almost there, reaching our $3,500 goal. I'm also going to ask you 
to sponsor children and youth to summer camp so they can come to know Christ or so that they can help develop their faith walk. And I'm also going to ask you to reach down deep and to give to help other people in need in our community. Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionately, and liberally for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. I'm telling you that even though tithing is not commanded by Christ, even though tithing is not a condition for church membership, and is not something that you have to do, in fact, unless you personally tell me, Jake, I'm tithing, or Jake, I'm not tithing, I will never know. Giving 10% of your income to God through the church will help you learn how to give like Christ. You know, that's something else I heard Johnny Hunt say in his sermon on giving. He said, you're never more like Jesus than when you give. You'll notice at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 6, the Mosaic law commanded a sacrifice or an offering be given of the firstborn of the herd and of the flock. This practice reminds us of the ultimate sacrifice and gift that God gave to us and for us on our behalf. Because of our sins, we owed God a debt. That debt could only be paid with death. The Bible teaches us that the payment for sin is death. The Bible also teaches us that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I wonder if through all of this talk on giving to God and tithing, if you're sitting here with your arms folded across your chest, either literally or metaphorically, thinking to yourself, I'm not going to give money to the church. I'm not going to give money to God. Maybe it's because you've never opened your heart to receive with open arms the gift that God has given to you. God does not want your money. It's not of any intrinsic value in His kingdom. He's not going to be impressed when you get to heaven and you say, God, I, I gave so many thousand dollars to First Baptist Church, Walnut Ridge, over the years of my lifetime. God doesn't need your money. His holiness and the salvation that you have are things that you cannot purchase with any earthly price. God wants your heart. He wants you. In the New Testament book of 1 Peter, we find out that God redeemed your life for His glory, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood. As of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Jesus was the sacrifice for our sins. He didn't just give us currency, He gave His life for us. He is God's gift to the world, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Is your faith and hope in Him? Is our faith and hope as a church in him. I want to ask you at this time to respond to God as he's leading you this morning. Nick and our musicians are going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation. And as they come, I want to ask you to pull out your bulletin this morning, if you have one. Go ahead and take your church bulletin out. There in your church bulletin, I want you to find the response card. 
challenge you to read and to pray over this card, to fill it out, to tear it out. And then I'm going to ask you to come and place that response card in one of these offering plates here on the altar this morning. Or maybe you're here and you want to receive God's great gift in your own life. You want to come to know Jesus and the love that God has shown you through his son. I'll be standing down here in the front and we'll be happy to tell you how you can receive Christ into your life with open arms. As God calls you this morning, how will you respond to